0: Me back to those early days of first hearing. As I shared with most oops, careful, Elder. As I shared with several of you, I wasn't raised the Seventh-day Adventist. And when I went to Malvern Academy in 1967, it was some of that music that played over the speakers of the dorm every morning on Sabbath to wake us up. And so I just really go back and have such pleasant feelings and emotions when I hear that music. No, music can do that to you, can it? It can take you back to a place and a time. And I'm so thankful that the Savior we serve is still very much alive and well and able to do now what He did then in all of our lives. Leslie and I would just like to thank you for so many of you have been so gracious to us. Your hospitality, Pastor Allen, the whole group. Thank you so much. I've got so many people to say hi to in Texas when I go back from many of you. And uh, to meet people that I've known as friends and you've known as friends, we've just never known each other as friends here. And so it's just neat to make those connections. Won't heaven be exciting? Uh, When when God connects all the dots and you begin to see what He did to make it possible for us to be there, I, I I can't wait. And this is just a little... A little sampler. You, you've never been into, uh, uh, you know, uh, was that, 31 flavors? I, you know, I don't go there often, but <laughs> 32 somewhere. And they have those little tiny spoons. You ever, you know, yeah. it's just that little taste. And that's what we're having here today. This, this is just a little taste of heaven. And so many people here are making that possible. So it's good to be here. And I'm just excited about God's Word. I believe His Word has something to say to us today. Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment again? Father, will you do what you do best here today? Open your word. Let it speak to our hearts. And may we leave this tent assured of your presence in our lives and of your coming soon. That where you may be, that where you are, there we also may be. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This week we have been looking at probably the first book written in the New Testament. The book of First Thessalonians. We've been talking about time capsules. And that's what First Thessalonians is. It's a time capsule. We're looking at this first century Christian church. And of the five chapters of First Thessalonians, every chapter ends in the second coming of Jesus. We could go right through them. We have all this week. Every chapter ends in the coming of Jesus. One thing is true about those folks in Thessalonica. They were Adventists. They believed that Jesus is coming again. You know that I'm finding more and more Adventists in other denominations as well. That people are being drawn to the fact that Jesus is coming again. I'm excited about that. And I am excited today that there's something that we can see in this book. That still speaks to us. And I want to pull something out of our time capsule. You'll have to ask somebody that's been here because on this table we have all kinds of things lined up. If you haven't been here, you can't see them, right? <laughs> they're there, aren't they there? You know they're there. If you haven't been you need to ask somebody about some of the things on this table because there's a book and there's a boot and there's some bandages. There's all kinds of things lined up on this table we've been talking about. Today... We're going to pull something else out of this time capsule. It's a bell. A bell. Let me ask you a question. Are you making a mark on your world? Are you making a mark? I saw a little thing in Reader's Digest that said, no GPA, no MBA, no BMW. You know, that, <laughs> how, how can you tell? If you're making your mark on this world, I want to suggest that this first century church that we've been looking at all week was making a mark on their world. And if we see how they did, maybe we can see how we can, just before Jesus comes, make a mark on this world. Would you open your Bibles with me? Wait a minute, Pastor. We were in chapter five, and now we're back in chapter one. That's on purpose. I want you to back up. We've been looking into this church. But I want you to back up and see how people looked at this church. What it looked like on the outside looking in. Open your Bibles with me to our scripture reading. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 8. It says this. The Lord's message rang out from you. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. That word rang out is interesting. My Greek students realize that it's the same word we get the word echo from. This is not a single shot bang. This is a a continual ringing. Like a soaring. There's something that's just continually ringing out of Thessalonica. People are talking about these folks. You see, that's what that ringing out is. We have a name for it today. It's called gossip. It is. And that's how the early church grew, was through holy gossip. Do you know that? You can telecommunicate and telegraph and telephone, but if you want to get something done, you tell an Adventist, right? It goes around the world instantly. And I want you to see something. That people were talking about these Adventists in this community they lived in. Let me ask you this. What's the gossip on the church you go to in your community? What what do people say about you? I was visiting a little town once in Texas, and I didn't know where the church was. It was Sabbath morning. I got there, and so I went to a service station, and I asked them, where is the Seventh-day Adventist church? They thought for a little bit, you know, three blocks down, turn right, two blocks, and stay on the corner. I did that and pulled right up in front of the Mormon church. You know? I found out later that the Adventist church was two blocks behind the service station. Didn't even know. I was in a conference once, the same type thing. We were having a hard time getting to the church. And a fellow got up to speak and said, Listen, if there's ever a time of trouble on this earth, I'm coming here. Nobody will ever find me. They don't know where you folks are. What are the people saying about us? When they see us, notice what it says. It says, the word of God rang out. Look with me, if you would, very quickly this morning. Verse 9, for they themselves report, what kind of reception you gave us. Number one, they tell how you turn to God from idols. Do you know what people in Thessalonica are saying? Do you know who's part of that church? Do you know who's worshipping with that group of people? Do you know what they used to be like? That's what it says. They turned to God from idols. Now, this word idols, we don't use it a lot today. That's because there's none of them around, are there? Huh? Open your Bibles with me to Psalms 115. Let's take a little look for just a moment. Psalms 115. We're talking about idols. Notice what it says. Psalms 115. talking about idols and it says this psalms 115 beginning in verse 2 why do the nations say where's their god our god is in heaven he does whatever pleases him but would you notice verse 4 but their idols are silver and gold made by the hands of men verse 5 they have mouths but what they can't speak they have eyes and can't see they have ears and what Can't hear and they have noses and can't smell, they have hands and they what? Can't feel, they have feet and they can't walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. And verse eight. And those who make them will be like them. And so who all so are all those who trust in them. I want to suggest to you that if your hands, feet, voice, nose, eyes, mouth, nothing works, you're dead. Right? You're dead. And that's who these people in Thessalonica were. They were dead in their trespasses and sins. But because of God's amazing grace that came to this town, they turned from, God, from idols to the living God. You know what the first characteristic I think of this, this group of Adventists here, and I wonder if it's a characteristic of us today, This group of Adventists believed that anybody could change. Are you listening? They believed that anybody could change. And that's what the people are talking about. Do you know who's part of that group? Do you know what they used to be like? This group of Adventists, listen, they not only believed that any person could change, they let them change. I've taught a class in basic Christian ethics for a number of years, and in that class we deal with the topics you would imagine, divorce and remarriage and euthanasia and abortion and homosexuality. I had a group of students come to me one day and said, Pastor Kilgore, that one's real clear. The Bible says they're not going in. And so we, we looked at this passage. Would you open with me for just a moment? Uh, 1 Corinthians, same writer, Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 1. Notice what it says. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 1. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Paul says, don't be deceived. He says, church, let's just make this as absolutely clear as possible. These folks are not going in. Listen to what he says. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor the drunkards, nor the slanderers, nor the swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And we're thinking, I hope not. What a list of people that are there. But I want to tell my students that on this list... They're talking about homosexuality. That was number four. First one on the list dealt with people who were being promiscuous who were sexual, or who were heterosexuals. Are you listening? People who were involved in relationships and they weren't married, male and female. That's on the list. You know what else is on that list? Married folks involved in relationships they shouldn't be involved in. That's on the list. Yes, you come down, number four. And there's the homosexuals, and they're on the list. But don't stop there. The greedy, the drunkards, those folks scooting a boot at Billy Bob's. You know, these folks are on the list, slanderers and swindlers. They're on the list. I want to tell you something. It is not multiple choice. Says they're not going in. Did I read that right? But I didn't read it enough. Did you see verse 11? You see verse 11? And that's what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the Spirit of our God. And I said, Lord, have mercy on my soul. I thought on that list, he was talking about the community. He's not. He's talking about the folks in the church. Are you looking at that list? Of the people who are in that church. And he said, that's what some of you were. But you've been washed. And you've been cleansed. And you've been justified. Isn't that a powerful message of the gospel? That any life can change. Amen? Are you an Adventist today? Do you believe that any life can change? And are you willing to let them change? I have some questions. Question I have is, who invited these folks to church? Right? Who invited? And number one, what? Number two, why'd they come? What in the world are these folks doing coming and fellowshipping with a group of believers? And let me ask you number three, why'd they stay? What is it that led them to turn their back on the, on the pleasures of sin for a season and want to become? Part of the blood bought family of God. What caused that? That's the power of the Holy Spirit, right? That was at work then and at work now. You mean to tell me, next time I hold a series of meetings and I give the appeal, when I get ready to do the appeal, I'm going to ask everybody that used to be an adulterer, would you please stand? I'm going to ask everybody who used to be a drunk, would you please stand? The homosexual offender used to be, but you've been washed by the blood of the Lamb. Would you please stand? And after they're all standing, I'm going to give the appeal to the three that are still seated, huh? <laughs> you see, people need to know that that's what the body of Christ is made up of. Now, I want you to listen very carefully to this. My name is on that list. And let me tell you the second thing. And it's none of your business what it was. Amen? Huh? <laughs> huh? None of your business. And if some of you here are honest, you'll tell me your name's been on that list too, right? Amen? But you've been washed. <laughs> that's the, see, that's who these admin, that's why people are talking about these folks. That's why this gossip is going on. These folks' lives have been changed. They've turned from idols. To serve the living and true God. That's the first characteristics of Adventists. They believe that anybody can change. And they let them change. You listening to me? Now, I hope you're here tonight. Because let me ask you something. You see that list? What do you think church board meetings were like when they got together, huh? Think there's anybody on that list that's got any baggage? You think that there are any folks on this list that maybe uh, come from different backgrounds and a variety of different experiences, and yet they become part of the body of Christ? Wonder what our school board would look like, huh? Music committee. I mean, made up of these folks. Tonight, that's what we're going to look at tonight, is what it looked like inside the body of Christ. When they came together. You need to be here. But I want you to see, first of all here, that these Adventists were people who believed that anybody could change and they'd let them change, but they believed something else. Look with me if you would. Second part of this, he says, uh, looking back in uh, 1 Thessalonians, chapter 1 now, and continuing where we were reading, verse 9, they tell how you turn to God from idols and to serve. The living and true God. Do you mean to tell me that these Adventists believed that everybody who had been blood-bought, that had been cleansed and washed, that they had a purpose in the body of Christ? That they could be of service to Him? Every person could be of service to Him. See, that's what Adventists believe. Adventists believe that anybody can change and believe that changed people live for Jesus where they live. Using the gifts, talents, resources, whatever they have, Adventists believe that we need every person that's in the body of Christ. Do you believe that? Every person has a part to play in the mission of this church. I truly believe that Zacchaeus went up that tree and went out on a limb. Because he knew that within those disciples, there was another one, what? Just like him. And if God could do it for one, maybe he'd do it for two, right? He saw somebody there. That's why we look different. And talk to, at my university where I go, and uh, where I teach, we have people from... Oh, I've had classes where seven, eight languages spoken in that class. I don't apologize for that. If you take the gospel to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people, that's what they should look like, and that's what it should look like. These folks believe that every person that is part of the body of Christ has a purpose. Do you know yours? Do you know why God has redeemed you and placed you where you are? I want you to leave this encampment today thinking about that. Because your occupation is just how you make your living. Your vocation, that's your calling. That's how you live for Jesus where you live. That adds the excitement to your life. Early in the history of our university, in fact, it was at the beginning of the 20th century, we were still keen Industrial Academy. There was a gentleman who came there from Wales. He was a mariner. And uh, he came to become a Bible worker. He wanted to be a missionary. And at the beginning of the 20th century, when he finished his training, he and his wife went to the South Pacific. His name was Griffith Jones. They called him Jonesy. When he got to the South Pacific, it was learned that within just a few years... This man was working in 34 languages. I think you call that the gift of tongues, don't you? Working in 34 languages. And he was instrumental on one island of leading the chief, a headhunter, a cannibal, to Christ. To become a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, an Adventist. And this chief had a boy born to him. And in fact, this chief, when he took his stand for the Lord, did something that nobody ever did on that island. When they went out on their boats to fish, they always attached a string. And that string is how the gods held on to your boat. Took you to where the fish were. Protected you in the storm. You know what this chief did? Cut that string. I mean, he took a stand. He cut that string. In fact, when his first son was born... After he became a Christian, he named his son No More String. You know what his name was? Catarangoso. You ever heard of that? Catarangoso. Some of you have heard of this gentleman before. What an incredible young man. His father was a headhunter, cannibal. He grew up in a Christian home. In fact, when he was a teenager in this home, World War II was just starting. And it was Catarangoso and some of his friends that were responsible for helping to rescue some of the downed airmen in the Second World War. You've heard of that before, haven't you? The things that Catarangoso did. But it was interesting because Griffith Jones decided very early on he needed a boat. So he built one called the Portal. And he would go from island to island sharing the gospel. But when the Second World War broke out, there were those... Now watch, in the church, who said, we can't have this boat. If we have this boat, the enemy's going to think we're in opposition to them. They will pursue... We can't have this boat. And some folks set it on fire to get rid of that boat. It burned for a little while, and as soon as these folks were gone, some of the other islanders got the boat, put out the fire, put it up on the bank. You see, it's not the wood. They had wood. It was the motor it was the motor that's what they didn't have and so you know what they did they took that motor apart now if this wasn't tr- if this wasn't in one of our textbooks some of you maybe that uh, have taken seventh day adventist church history you had a textbook called light bearers and you've ever seen that richard schwartz dr schwartz it was updated in 2001 at the, uh, with uh, john greenleaf but this book it, the story is there and if it wasn't there i wouldn't believe it They took that motor apart and gave pieces to everyone in the village. Some people would take part of the carburetor and they'd bury it under their tent. I can see some of those people taking some washers and nuts, maybe wearing them around their neck. (laughs) They've got those pieces. And they kept them for almost two years while the war went on. But as the war began winding down, someone said, we got to get this boat going again. Because we're Adventists. We have a mission to reach the world for Christ. And so the word went out. Bring what you got. And do you know that those islanders started digging things up and bringing stuff they had? And they put that motor back together. If it was not in Lightbearers by Richard Schwartz, I wouldn't believe it. They pulled the cord and guess what? It started <laughs> because every person knew that the part they had, regardless of how big or how small, was vital to the mission of the church. Do you like that? That's a true story. I want to tell you something. Adventists still believe that today. That every person that has been changed by the blood of Christ has been called to serve and live for Him. I don't you see it has nothing to do with what you have. It has to do with what God can do with what you have. Is that right? Yes. And God has a purpose for each one of us here today. Oh, you may just be a washer. (laughs) You know how we are. We don't feel... like Somebody may, you know, be a throttle. I don't know. But I want you to know this. The King is coming. Amen? The mission of this church needs to kick into full gear. We need every piece. Every person. And that's what this first century Adventist church believed. That every person had a purpose. There's one more thing. We're going to finish now. Getting close. I see the time. Now, maybe I'm on Texas time. I don't know. know, No. Look at this. Notice what it says. They tell how you turn to God from idols. To serve the living and true God. In number 10. Verse 10. This is the last thing. Characteristic of these Adventists. And to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. There is a third characteristic to Adventists. They are a group of people who are waiting. This world is not my home. I am a pilgrim. I'm just passing through. This world is not my home. They always have been and always will be till Jesus comes. A waiting group. But it's an interesting word. And I know I have some Greek friends here today. And I was talking with them beforehand. And, but I'm going to step out again even with them here. And if I'm slaughtering the language, I can read it. I don't speak it well, but I can read it. The Greek word for wait is mino. Meno is the word that means to wait. Paul has done something. This is the only place in the Bible you find this word. He adds a preposition to it. Anna, which can mean up. Waiting, looking Uh, where? The the lexicon says eager expectation. Waiting. You ever many Adventists waiting, looking down? Huh? You ever madam? Just sad and discouraged and despondent about everything. The Bible says that these Adventists were people who were waiting, looking up. Are there any Adventists here today? You see, it doesn't say that Adventists are people who have no problems. They don't have sickness. They don't have financial cha- It doesn't say that. But it does say in the midst of that, they're waiting, looking up. And if you want somebody to notice you, And to see it's in the midst of the things they're going through. When they're looking down, they meet somebody looking up. That's who Adventists are. There are people that are waiting, looking up. I'm excited today. I'm really thankful for the privilege we have. That every person in this tent today, that when we're willing to live for Jesus and live looking up, Little do you know the impact you're going to have on this world. Do you believe that? I believe that. We brought a a speaker to our campus. We've had him there twice. Uh, we gave him an honorary doctorate. His name is Dr. Robert Sloan, president of Baylor University. Now, we give honorary degrees out to people who have distinguished themselves in their fields. You know, we've given them to uh, Mark Finley and, some of these folks that we just really believe uh, have distinguished themselves. But we gave one to Dr. Sloan, and they bring the uh, a little resume to the faculty. We always voted. And I'm looking through this resume, and I see this man has a Ph.D. from Cambridge University. Now, I know we're pretty prestigious, but I'm just wondering why, you know, <laughs> you know, he would maybe accept a doctorate for us. And the president at that time, this was Dr. Marvin Anderson, not the one we have now, Eric Anderson, Dr. Anderson said that he was at a, a meeting of Christian colleges and universities in Texas. They were having a meeting. And in the meeting, everybody had to stand and say where they were from, the president. And, and he stood and said that he was with Southwestern Adventist University in Keene, Texas. Everybody was standing and identifying himself. And he said after the meeting, they were going to lunch. A gentleman came up to him and said, uh, I'd like to buy you lunch. I'd like to, I'd like to talk to you a little bit. And Dr. Sloan took Dr. Anderson to lunch and he said, I want to tell you something, Dr. Sloan said. He said, I was raised in the southern part of Texas. He said, among a family that had some means, a little bit of money. He said, I really didn't lack for much growing up. I had the best of things you could have. But he said, when I was growing up, there was a woman in my life that I cannot remember a time when she wasn't there. He called her a domestic worker. An uneducated woman. An African American woman. He said she was in my house. He says I I can't remember a time she wasn't. There. He said she was the one when I was just a little boy. She folded my hands over my food and she taught me to pray. He said she was the one when I was about 15 16. I'm with my friends on Saturday night and we're going out the door. She would stop us in the kitchen, make us get down on our knees and would pray for our moral purity before we went out the door on Saturday night. Dr. Sloan told Dr. Anderson, he said, I have studied at the feet of the greatest theologians of the 20th century. But he said, no one had a greater spiritual impact on my life than this domestic-working, uneducated, African-American, Seventh-day Adventist woman. He said, Dr. Anderson, I I would love to be on your campus sometime. He said, this woman has just meant so much to me. She had since passed away. And we invited him, and he has come back twice now, uh, at least one other time, and done our graduation. And I want you to think with me for just a moment. This African-American woman living down in the South. And Dr. Sloan's I grew up in the 50s as a little kid. He probably grew up in the 40s. Can you imagine what life would have been like for this lady, African-American lady in the South in the 40s? When she got on the bus to go to his house to work, she didn't sit on the front seat, did she? And she drove by those restaurants that had the, the big signs that told what was served there, and the little sign that said where certain people could go get it if you weren't a specific color. She saw the color-coded water fountains. And I want to tell you something. If I'd have been her, by the time I'd have got to work, I'd have been in a bad mood. Do you think? <laughs> Seeing this, this, man, this man's inhumanity to man. But I want to tell you something. This was an Adventist lady who was waiting, looking up. Amen? So many things that could tear. She was waiting, looking up. Little will she know in the kingdom of God the influence she had on this man because she lived for Jesus where she lived. That's who Adventists are. There are people that believe that any person can change and lets them change. And that every changed person has a purpose. And that we are a waiting people and our waiting is not a doctrine. Our waiting is a person, Jesus. Did you see that? We are waiting for a person. Uh, we were having a week of prayer on our campus, and this will we'll close with this. And the faculty were doing the week of prayer last year for the students, and one of the faculty read this quote, and what struck me was the date on the quote not just the quote, but you're going to want to have this date because you're going to want to look this up. You can find this in the Review and Herald magazine. August the 2nd, 1881. Review and Herald magazine. August the 2nd, 1881. What struck me about that date is that you know in our history, in our early pioneers and founders, James and Ellen White, right? And I knew that James White had died on August 6th, 1881. And I realized something else. This was his birthday. August 2nd was his birthday. And so this is just a few days before James White dies. And Ellen White is writing an article. Now something else is happening in the 1880s. The Sunday laws are being revised. You know that, don't you? There were those who felt that this nation is supposed to be a Christian nation and because of the Civil War, it's such a black eye, we need to get this nation back to God. And there was legislation introduced in 1888. Legislation introduced for a national day of worship. There were Seventh-day Adventists in Arkansas that went to jail because they worked on Sunday. This is all going on around this time. The Sunday law is just starting to emerge during this time. And here's Ellen White. Husband's dying. He's at Battle Creek Sanitarium. John Harvey Kellogg is his doctor. And he's there and he's dying. And she writes these words. Listen to me. We're living in an age when wickedness prevails. The perils of the last days thicken around us. And because iniquity abounds, the love of many waxes cold. This need not be if all would come to Jesus. Listen. And confiding and in faith, trust in Him. His meekness and His lowliness, cherished will bring pre- pre- peace and rest and moral power to every soul. Now listen. You see, when we talk about being Adventists, many times, I believe that there are signs that Jesus is coming. Don't you believe that? But sometimes, do we ever focus on the signs And forget the person, Jesus, that's coming. You see, when you're doing that, all you're doing is scare tactics. And the problem with scare tactics is you have to keep people scared to keep them committed, right? And that God has called us. Point to those signs, but look up because you're salvation. Yes. Draws not. Would you listen to what she says? Listen to this. You're going to want this. Review and Herald, August 2nd, 1881. The shortness of time is urged as an incentive for us to seek righteousness and to make Christ our friend. This is not the great motive. It savors of selfishness. Is it necessary that the terrors of the day of God be held before us to compel us through fear to act right? This ought not to be. Listen to what she says. Jesus is attractive. Don't you love that? He's full of love and mercy and compassion. He proposes to be our friend, to walk with us through all the rough pathways of life. He says to you, I am uh, the Lord thy God. Walk with me and I'll fill thy paths with light. Jesus, the majesty of heaven, proposes to elevate to companionship with himself those who come to him with their burdens Weaknesses and cares. Don't you love that? You see, these folks here in the first century were Adventists because they were waiting for Jesus to come. Are there any Adventists here today? Are there any folks here today? Listen now. You're saying that. That means that where you live and worship, you believe that any person can change. And where you live in worship, you believe that every changed person has a purpose. And you also believe that you're waiting, looking up. I don't know about you, but I want to be that kind of Adventist, don't you? I want to wait, looking up. Would you stand with me as we pray about this? And thank God for His Word and for these things we can see. People like us who live for Him where we live. Shall we pray? Our Father in heaven, I thank You so much today for each one of us here, for the music, the testimonies, the things that we have heard that has told us about Your amazing grace. And Lord, You established a church. And that church, the purpose of it is is to let people know that their lives can be changed, that Your amazing grace can wash and cleanse any human being. Father, there may be somebody here today that does not know that amazing grace. Lord, I just pray that right now, if that's so, that they would invite you, allow your Holy Spirit to come into their hearts and change them. I don't care where they've been or what they've done. The Bible says we can be washed. And I thank you so much for that today, Lord. And I just pray that those here that do know you, that we leave this place and go home to our churches and we really remember what it means to be an Adventist. And we wait. Oh, Lord, we're tired of waiting. We have to confess that, but we wait. And we're waiting for your Son, Lord, from heaven, Jesus, who will rescue us from the coming wrath. Thank you for that promise. In his name we pray. Amen.